few weeks ago, me and the Talking Health Tech team were lucky enough to attend the Australian Healthcare Week event in Sydney. It was a great opportunity for healthcare leaders to reconnect in person. And for us, we got to meet so many listeners of the podcast and our THT members in person. We had our own booth right next to the digital health stage as well. And we were there spreading the good word about the podcast and THT Plus and health tech. But importantly, we made the most of our time there by setting up a little recording studio inside our booth there. You can check out what it looked like on our YouTube channel as well. Just search Talking Health Tech in YouTube and it should come up there. Follow us while you're on YouTube, by the way. And so we left the event with some great little snippets of audio recordings from speakers at the event. And we've pulled all those together for you now. So after the music in this episode, you'll hear a bit of a compilation of the best conversations that we had with speakers at Australian Healthcare Week in Sydney earlier this year. If you're going to be in Melbourne this month in May, you might see us at two similar events. We're going to be at Ausmed Tech 22 and Digital Health Festival. At both events, we'll have a booth and hopefully the same kind of setup where we can record some audio interviews with speakers and exhibitors and visitors. So pop on over to our stand at either of those events. Say hi to me, Sophie and Kaya. And I'm hoping we get to do even more in-person events in future too. I love the live ambience of the interviews and what a great way for you to get a flavour of the calibre of speakers that appear at these great events like Australian Healthcare Week. So here we go, Team Health Tech. Collaboration starts with a conversation. Let's make it happen. Welcome to Talking Health Tech with Peter Birch, a podcast featuring conversations with key players and influencers to promote innovation and collaboration for better healthcare enabled by technology. At Australian Healthcare Week earlier this year, I had a chat with a number of speakers after they came off the stage at the event. The first discussion I had was with Dr. Anuj Sarugi, Senior Director, Digital Solutions Delivery Services at eHealth Queensland, where he gave us a bit of a spoiler alert into his talk on healthcare IT workforce. So what we are doing at eHealth Queensland is building a first-of-its-kind technology talent workforce marketplace such that they can be deployed across the state for ICT projects. And so some of the key findings from your discussion, what did you find resonated the most, do you think, with some of the attendees today? Well, see, one of the main challenges which I had mentioned in my talk yesterday, the barriers for digital transformation, is we always talk about the process, we always talk about the systems, we always talk about the technology. We do acknowledge the workforce element to it, but we never sort of quite do major efforts or work towards that particular side, the people resources side. And within the current environment, almost every organization is undertaking digital transformation, even the smallest of the business. And ICT professionals are in high demand. The supply is relatively constrained. So how do you make that digital transformation without having the workforce to do that? So it was all about how do you sort of enable, how do you prepare, how do you sort of train, upskill your workforce, how do you do succession planning, how do you do their career development pathways, what skills expectations are there, how do you support them in their career journey so that you have that attention. Because now you see ICT professionals, they're leaving jobs because they're getting greener pastures in terms of higher salaries, day rates, and they're like, can you match? And the governments usually can't match the private providers. And within Queensland government, it's not that convenient or easy to get in contractors either that we can pay them day rates. 
So how do we then compete within that sort of an environment? So yeah, yeah, it's it's often it's not a technology problem, is it? It's the uh, it's the capability, it's the culture, it's the the people around it. Absolutely, without the people, the organizations can't function. We don't have AI yet to do all that work. <laughs> Nor do we want to. But do you find it's more of a, in terms of the need from a people perspective or a capability, do you think it's more about the need of having skills in health informatics or is it other skills like change management and uh, flexibility and, you know, adaptability that, that are some of the things that people need to be really successful in using technology in healthcare? It's a combination of everything. And I might use an analogy here. When you're raising a child... You need the parents, you need the doctors, you need every possible support within that sort of an environment. So when you're doing digital transformation, you might need uh, informaticians, you'll need change managers, you'll need project managers, you'll need architectures, you'll need business analysts in there, you'll need testers to sort of do the testing of the product that you're implementing, you'll need other technical consultants in there. So it's a combination of every sort of a workforce uh, within their own sort of domain that they'll be participating and playing a part of it. And it's an element of skills, it's an element of workforce availability, and it's the right skills for that right job. Because you can have a PM who's doing your asset replacements like your VAPS uh, replacement switches, servers, and so on. But when you're implementing a clinical application, the nuances are slightly different. Yes, the overall principles might be the same, but the nuances are different. So it's having that exposure or understanding and how do we provide them the structure or the guardrails so that they can make those transition without burning their fingers or without sort of, you know, making it uh, complicated even further. It's sort of providing that support to them so that it also enables their career journey and development and provides them a defined pathway to say, okay, these are the expectations from me at this particular level. And when I want to sort of go into a senior level, that's what the expectations are. So that's what I need to prepare towards. Yes. Yeah. And lastly, then in terms of retention and attracting and retaining staff, particularly when it comes to in the public system, and like you were talking about with the it's a competitive environment in the private space and you know, startup scale-ups, what is it in particular that you think will attract and retain staff to, to work within the, the group? Well, see, most of the time when people are working within the public sector or the health sector, it's because they see that the work that they do is providing a direct impact to the outcome of either the patients or the system or whatever that might be. So that's one of the biggest drivers and motivations for us because we can't compete on the dollar value, the monetary front. So it's when you look at it from a Maslow's law of hierarchy, the dollar values, the you know, you have the roof, the food, all those there, then it's the sense of satisfaction of the job you're doing. So we've got that covered. But the aspect that we need to sort of provide them. Yes, obviously the monetary element is there, which we can't compete, but it's how we are sort of looking after them. Are we actually invested in their journey? Are we sort of looking at retaining them? How do we support their career development? Because in most instances, yes, you have a very defined career pathway for a nurse, for a doctor, for an allied health professional, but for an ICT professional, how many sort of events do you see that are geared for them? You know, the ICT project managers or the business analysts. Yes, you have industry bodies in there who might be sort of specializing in those areas. But again, they are usually the forgotten workforce. Even politically, you have the front line, you know, doctors, teachers, nurses, paramedics, policemen, and so on. And IT, digital, is always an expense in that sense. So it's sort of recognizing and understanding that it's not the case they are an equally valued member. Without them, the front line cannot function. It's sort of acknowledging that 
making them realize what they're doing is equally important and providing them that structure or the pathway to show, we want you to remain within this organization. We want you to be here for the next 10 years, 15 years. And with the generation changes, you see that people are no longer there for that longer duration. They need that constant motivation. They need that constant sort of a learning. So how do we keep them engaged is through that sort of pathway showing that yes, when you're getting into a consultancy from a you know, graduate through to a director or a partner, you know what's expected of you. So it's on similar lines, creating those sort of private elements in there within the public sector to say this is what the expectations are. And if you want to change your pathway from being a business analyst to a PM, we are there to support you. You don't need to leave your job. We'll try and find a structure uh, so that you don't need to go down the ranks. So we'll sort of, you know, support you in your sort of skilling, upskilling, your career journey so that you can transition seamlessly. But it's those sort of things that we can, if we can provide, I think that's what's required. Next at Australian Healthcare Week at the Talking Health Tech booth, I spoke with Tyrone Jackson from GetWell, who was visiting Australia from Canada thanks to Hills, and I got to learn more about what's important in pulling together an optimal in-room patient experience in a hospital setting. So I'm Tyrone Jackson. I'm the uh, Global Healthcare Account Executive for GetWell. I'm responsible pretty much for everything outside of the U.S., with key market focus in Australia, Middle East, and Canada. And you're speaking today at Australian Healthcare Week, and you've just come off this stage. Tell us a bit about the talk that you gave. Yeah, I mean, it was an amazing experience. Really appreciate the invite from our partner, Hills, who kind of coordinated the talk. Our focus was really talking about how we can enhance the patient in-room experience through smart room technology. So kind of looking at how we can bring a multitude of solutions that the hospitals have, services via integration, and bring that to the patient bedside. And we talked about the journey that a lot of hospitals take when they were looking at smart room type solutions. And we ended it with a case study with one of our clients in Canada that actually achieved that vision in terms of what they looked at, the different options they took before they actually made the decision to move with GetWell. And then of course we talked about the outcomes and the benefits and the return on investment. And it's often a challenge with, it makes a lot of sense to bring pieces together and and pulling information from different parts. But the challenge is really then in the execution in, You know, this this piece of interoperability, right? Is that the the bit that a lot of people need to work out? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think, you know, I kept utilizing the analogy and in, in my talk to talk about how there's not a lack of innovation in technology solutions in healthcare, right? I mean, this conference is, is an example of that. And I, I did want to speak about, but I was trying to be conscious of time that while this conference is going on, HIMSS conference in the U.S. is going on at the same time, right? So the fact that we have enough vendors that can provide, you know, booths and presence at both of these two pretty large-scale healthcare conferences simultaneously lets you know there's a lot of solutions out there. But the challenge I feel is that we're not bringing them all together in a comprehensive strategy and in a comprehensive platform. So what we've done with EMR is we kind of have a, a platform that covers all of your departmental solutions as well as your core access management and clinical pieces. We don't have that in the patient engagement space. So GetWell has miraculously been able to pull together that into a single consolidated platform that makes the experience feel unique and consistent across all the different touch points of the patient journey. And then lastly, thinking about some of the innovations that you've seen come through and say the future of health, are there any exciting innovations that you've seen come through or things that you're excited to see in technology and healthcare? Yeah, I think the thing, I'm, I'm, I mean, COVID exposed the ability to be able to 
interact and engage with their patients in a remote capacity. And I think what we're doing, and certainly others are doing it, whether it be through telemedicine, through video conferencing tools, on the, I say on the elementary side, but then on the more advanced side, having pathways that the patient and the clinician can actually interact with, and you can see where the patient is on their journey, even when they're out of the four walls of the hospital, is quite amazing. And I, I feel that while there's been discussions and talk about that over the last X amount of years, the last two years we've seen quite major innovation in attention to that space. During the day at Australian Healthcare Week, I also got to connect with Vidya Nalamad from NetHealth, who you've heard on the podcast and at our summits before. She's a proud THT Plus member who, at Australian Healthcare Week, was moderating a panel discussion with some hospital executives to get a pulse check on their appetite for using remote monitoring tools in virtual care. Take a listen. I'm Vidya from NetHealth, and it's uh, really exciting to be in person at Australian Healthcare Week after, I think, two years now. Yeah. Wow. Uh, So, yeah, tomorrow I'll be chairing a panel session for telehealth remote patient monitoring with some of uh, the leaders in the health sector, Ike's of Illawarra, CIO and CEO of Nepean LHD, and then Mark Budge from... uh, Bendigo Health from Victoria. Ah. Uh, So yeah, they'll be talking about their insights and about remote patient monitoring, how they have come across, how they have implemented in their LHDs and uh, health services and their hospitals. So yeah, we we also have uh, the CIO from uh, Melbourne Children's Hospital, Michael. So it's going to be a really interesting session. How have you found the implementation of remote patient monitoring in some of these hospital health services and public health systems because as we've talked about telehealth often people think about the consultation and the telephone or you know video bit but then that critical piece is the the monitoring component it sounds like then if some of these systems are talking about it actively about how they're using it it's um it's happening on a day-to-day Yeah, one of the pre-COVID and post-COVID, if you have asked pre-COVID, yeah, it would have been really hard. But uh, post-COVID, people get that whole workflow. It's beyond video consult these days. It's just not about video consulting or telephone. So having that uh, agnostic approach for patient monitoring and having the capability to interact with the patient through an app or a mobile phone, that's what has made it interesting for these hospitals health service to uptake. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Is there anything particularly interesting you're looking forward to seeing or hearing at the show today? You've come down from Queensland for it? Oh, yes. Basically to get the feel from the industry leaders for digital health. Pre-COVID, it would be stuck at appointment booking software and yep. all those things. You you must be knowing it, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> but now uh, people are talking about data analytics, yeah. big data, and uh, AI, machine learning, which is kind of fascinating and interesting coming from uh, these industry leaders. So yeah, I think I look forward to how they have the uptake in here. So at the event at Australian Healthcare Week, it was great to see such a good mix of attendees. There was good representation from your well-established vendors, but also from the startup community too. And I got to speak with a few of them, like THT Plus members, Lenexa Medical. 
I'm Ajit Ravindran, CEO of Lenexa Medical. And what does Lenexa do? Well, we, we, we're a company that came out of the University of Melbourne Biodesign Program, and we were then part of the MedTech Actuator. We are creating a fabric-based sensor that takes patient-specific data, and then using machine learning and AI, we provide targeted information to clinicians on when and where the pressure is likely to form. So we are a patient monitoring and a pressure prevention device company. How big is this issue that, that's being solved? Yeah, it's, it's great you ask that question because recently there was a, a cost of illness study that was actually put out which said that in Australia, in public hospitals alone, the cost of problem in terms of addressing pressure injuries is about $9 billion per annum. Wow. So it's significant, quite significant, uh, that affects a lot of older Australians and touches the lives of many of them. Yeah, yeah. And, and at a high level, how does it work? So using AI can help identify issues of bed sores before they occur? Yeah, so, so what, what we do is, because it's a fabric-based sensor, we're sort of monitoring the patient in real time. But even before the patient is lying on the bed, we make it patient-specific. Just to give you a funny story, so today the way in which the pressure injuries are actually prevented is they come and roll the patient every two or three hours. And it's two or three hours because Florence Nightingale, when she was doing a first shift, it took her three hours to get to the same patient. So that rolling the patient every three hours hasn't changed for quite some time, even a century old. So... It's an age-old problem, yeah. and we have, we have still sort of stuck with, that, stuck with those turns. What we want to do is, with the advances in biomedical engineering, which I've got with my co-founder over here, Will, mm. who's built a lot of biomedical models with our, with our software engineering teams in India, we're able to take an image of the person lying on the bed. We're also able to sort of work out what position they are on the bed and how much pressure is being applied at a particular level so that the nurses don't have to just come and roll the patient. They can actually come and do these targeted micro-shifts and they're able to see what is going on at the patient all the time. So, for example, if the patient is rolled on their own, well, there's no need to come and roll the patient. Mm. Quite a common problem right. sometimes when people feel they need to come and wake the patient and roll them. So, yeah, lots yeah. of lots of time savings. And lastly, for anyone who wants to learn more about what Lenexa does and how to get in touch, how would they do that? Yeah, the best way is contact us at lenexamedical.com or you're more than happy to follow us on, on LinkedIn, on Twitter. We've also recently uh, created an, an Instagram page just talking about our journey and our travels. But yeah, follow us. I uh, just want to just add, uh, you know, as of two weeks ago, we were sort of listed on the ATG, which means that we can actually start selling our solutions. So we're here looking for partners, looking for investors, trying to help and scale a solution and, and, and would love to sort of talk more because this is a highly unmet need and lots of people are suffering and we've got a solution that can help this. Another startup that I got to speak with was Dr. Annie McCauley from Talkie Play, who were doing some really inspirational and uplifting work to help kids with language using some really cool technology. And here's something novel and that I really like, not a screen in sight. I'm Dr. Annie McCauley and I'm the CEO and founder of Talkie Play. Tell us about Talkie Play. What is it? Well, Talkie Play is language immersion for children with language delay. We make normal everyday things come to life and talk so that a children can improve their language development, have fun, and you can go from having very little words to having words within weeks and then sentences. And how, how do you make anything talk? That sounds really cool. And coming from a parent of three children, and I can understand the problem to be solved, but curious in the tech. Tell me, what, what is it? 
You want to know the tech? Yeah. Tell me the tech. Well, the tech is quite amazing. And so what we're doing is putting stickers to things that you want to enable yeah. in your environment. So you put the stickers on there and then our little device taps on it. Um, it's an RFID. And so they these stickers can go anywhere. We have them for sitting for years outside on sandboxes, play equipment, um, and they just work perfectly every time. Um, and it means you're not on a screen. So you're running around and tapping with real things and it's digital tech, but without the screen. I love that so much with the screen time is the bane of my existence at home. So I, I hear you. You're doing a, a couple of sessions here at Australian Healthcare Week. Tell us about what you're talking about today. Yes, I'm in the startup section. So I'll be on that stage talking about the complications with healthcare and startups and how you tackle that and how do you work with and around government and, and healthcare. Um, and then in the afternoon, I'm on the GP stage. So we're talking about tech GPs, healthcare, better patient outcomes, and what can we do? Amazing. Mm. And lastly, so, so why this? You mentioned doctor, uh, clinical background? Yes, yeah, so I'm a medical researcher. Um, my last position was CRE fellow at the Alfred with Monash Uni in emergency. You know, I'm great with big data. I've had lots of experience through research and everything, but that's not why I do what I do. I developed Talkie Play for my daughter. So my daughter didn't develop language and I was at a loss of how to help her. And so I created Talkie Play to make our home come to life and talk so that she could talk and tell me what she was thinking. She could then communicate. We broke through her world into my world. And now we have a bond that's stronger than ever. And I was able to do that for her and I make Talkie Play come to life for others so that other families will know what it's like and have the help that we had. That's so cool. And so how, how can people find out more or get their hands on, on a Talkie Play? Yeah, so our website is talkieplay.com and um, our products are available for sale on there. And you can get it for home, you can have it for preschool or your speech therapist might have it in their office. Yeah, nice. Mm. With such good representation of startups at the event, it was also really good to see near the end of the second day a startup pitch fest. One of the judges from that was Dr. Stefan Herrera, who from the Digital Health CRC, who I got to catch up with briefly at our booth, and he provided some pretty uplifting insights into the state of AI and healthcare today. Stefan Herrera, Chief Innovation Officer of the Digital Health CRC. So no stranger to talking health tech. It's great to have you here. Tell us about the talk that you've been doing at the event. Thanks, thanks, Peter. Um, great to stop by the booth. I was talking yesterday about AI at the edge. That means uh, variable sensors that are empowered by AI right at the point of sensing. We call them thinkables because they really combine the ability to sense and to make sense out of that data at the same time. So where do you see that fitting in in terms of healthcare today? It is very interesting that we would ask that question and what I what I showed yesterday and the way I um, I want to explain this is by using a Gartner's hype cycle, right? Which shows exactly these kind of AI-empowered variables right exiting the trough of disillusionment and entering the slope of enlightenment, which means that there is a lot of work to do here. 
All right, these technologies are in clinical trial phase, they're in proof of concept phase. There's a lot to do here towards getting them into readily deployable status, but this is going to happen over the next three years and we see some onset of this development already today where some of these variables that run with AI are, for example, being used to detect and predict epileptic seizures using, using smartwatches. And you're also going to be uh, judging on the startup panel. Yeah, that's that going right? to be fun. We're going to be rocking it, uh, tech crunch, disrupt, <laughs> battlefield style. That's that's going to be uh, a lot of fun. No, seriously, I think um, these these pitch fests are really highlights in my book. You find a lot of inspired and inspiring entrepreneurs. They're really itching to get their ideas out there, and it's our job um, to find those marvels and actually bring them to fruition. I'm finding as well that there's an increasing desire from either the big end of town, but also public health. Like people want to hear from those with new emerging ideas and the startups that that have almost the permission to move faster and try things differently and give that inspiration partner. Maybe yeah. absolutely. I want so this is full-heartedly true. One word of caution, though, that I want to give here is that if you are a startup and one of those you know, really motivated leaders with new ideas, it is very important to understand that healthcare is not following that classical Silicon Valley move fast and break things regime, but that you got to take a conscious approach to pitching, to developing, and to eventually deploying your idea into the real world, because what you want to do is you want to preserve your consumers, the patients trust in your technology. That's very important in healthcare. If you're a startup founder there, uh, that needs to be at the forefront. But fortunately for many of those uh, who we see, it is. Lastly, at our makeshift audio recording booth at Australian Healthcare Week, Another digital health OG who participated in the startup pitch fest as a judge was none other than Bronwyn LeGrice from And Health. And it's been a while since I caught up with Bron on the podcast, so it was great to hear from her how far And Health has come in such a short space of time, really, and also to hear some practical advice for startups when they're pitching their thing. So today I'm doing two things. The first thing is I'm talking about how the And Health model which we created five years ago, is helping digital health companies from Australia to scale globally. And some of the programs that we have, the pipeline that we've developed, and also the outcomes that we've achieved. So that's kind of fun, but that's a bit talking about yourself. And then the other thing I'm doing, which is always a privilege, is judging the pitch fest this afternoon in the startup stage. So uh, so the six companies judging the pitch fest with some uh, colleagues. So that's really cool. It's always nice to get a view on the new companies coming through the pipeline that I maybe have not met personally before. Yeah. And we've been a busy couple of years uh, and you were busy before then as well. You know, in terms of the landscape at the moment, as things start to people come back to events like this, what's the next phase for everyone that's operating in this space of digital health in Australia? So the interesting thing now is, so we've been building a database of the digital health sector in Australia for five years. That database of companies is now nudging 550 companies and and it's grown 100% year on year since 2018. So we now have a pretty clear view. We also have a proprietary way of scoring the stage of development companies are at. And every year we go back and retouch every one of the companies in the database, which this year was 500 plus, and we remap them. And so we can actually now see, since And Health was created five years ago, we've seen an increase in the number of companies in our pipeline across Australia, but also a, a, a maturation 
So, so these companies are now more mature, so it's a bigger pipeline and further over on the on the development pathway. So that's, I'll be presenting that data today. It's the first time we've shown it. But we can, we can also now start to map at the programmatic level when we partner with state governments, how that drives increase in the pipeline in that particular state. So we've seen massive um, growth in the New South Wales sector, for example, since we partnered with New South Wales Health and Cicada Innovations. So the data that we've got now drives, and then later in the year, in a couple of months, we'll release our Sleeping Giant Mark II, which may not be called Sleeping Giant, because hopefully it's no longer asleep for digital health. And that will actually drill right into the detail of all this data that we've collected over the sector. But really for us, it's about demonstrating that we're growing a sector that has genuine long-term viability. So that maturing of the companies in the pipeline is really important to us. I, I like the fact you've got the data and the ability to demonstrate the effectiveness of it as opposed to just having the really interesting conversations about it. I think that's... Um... Yeah, so I had a really clear view on and health. If it didn't work, shut it down. So, okay, I'm a little bit surprised at how well it worked, if I'm really honest. But I think the reality is, is that I come from an investment background. So it's about action. It's about outcomes. It's about meeting your milestones, just like it is for any startup. And so for us, it's all been about does the program work? Does it have an impact? Can we demonstrate outcomes? And if it does, let's go get it funded. And so we've gone from seed funding from MTP Connect of less than a million dollars to managing north of 25 million of industry and government money and, and of course, the Health Digital Health Accelerator Fund, which now sits alongside the, the Health Plus program. Yeah, amazing. And lastly, so you're, you're judging at the, the startup thing later today. Judging is such a harsh Is word. it judging? Is it... Commenting, commenting assessing... Providing... <laughs> providing feedback that is constructive in nature. I'm pretty sure I've asked you this before, but then for startups generally, and you see a lot come through in, in, in your health time and also in previous lives as well. Um, any, like, what's some common advice for those providing... Uh, those startups in this health tech space now trying to make a meaningful impact? So when is this a pitching advice or is this a general advice? Oh, good one, yes. Yeah. So in terms, actually pitching, in, that's in, I don't think I've asked you about pitching. So like a good pitch, what are like... So I hate six minute pitches, but I'm judging them. So um, is this ch challenging? Because as an investor who kind of did a lot of due diligence, you can't do a lot of due diligence in six minutes. But what you can do in six minutes is test a competitive assessment slide. So if I can find a competitor not on your slide while you're pitching in six minutes... Oh yeah, okay, yeah. I'm going to question the validity and I think the trick with pitching and even, you know, longer conversations with investors is to never provide information that can't be substantiated through an independent source. Right. So always be able to verify fact-driven verification, you know, have to be able to substantiate your claims. And if you can't say we have not yet gathered this evidence but we believe and then that's fine too but never say you've got something you don't have because the second you say something say, say you say something you don't have and somebody can identify that you don't have it they'll question everything else you say because it's that red flag effect right once you've raised a red flag of uh, is this person telling me the truth are they legit you raise one red flag then everything else I look at will be through the lens of a red flag and it's sometimes it sounds like then you know it's building that, the trust and credibility in that initial kind of thing of where you're at right now when then where to from there and being really... I think there's a big focus on selling the dream in pitch fests. Yeah. I'm much more interested in selling the reality and the reality being compelling enough for me to want to make an investment decision or have a further meeting. Mm. And so the best founders I've worked with are the ones that will say, I don't know, mm. or we don't have the data yet. But if, hey, we can raise this seed round, this is the clinical trial protocol that will give us a go or no go decision on this product. Amazing.
And that's it for this Australian Healthcare Week special episode of the Talking Health Tech podcast. We love a good IRL event and we'll be doing it all again in Melbourne in May where we'll have a booth at two big medtech and health tech events. So Oz Medtech 22 and also Digital Health Festival. So drop by our booth at either event and say hi and maybe we'll sit down and record your two cents for the podcast as well. Stay safe. Hopefully see you then. Thanks for listening to the show. Check out TalkingHealthTech.com to connect with other people in our community and to learn more about the Australian health tech industry. Also, make sure you hit subscribe on your favourite podcast player so you don't miss an episode and share this episode with a few people who need to hear it. Now go make it happen. Go make it happen.